Chad, how you doing, man? What's up? What's up, man? It's been a while. It has. It's only been like two weeks, though. I know. Two weeks off feels like uh, feels like eternity, though, since I hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you should have came to uh, East Denver. It, it, it was a it was a good time. Yeah, excited to hear all about it. I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, Want to hear all the Thorchain festivities that went down? Yeah, yeah. I, I I'll talk a little bit about that, I guess, before uh, Chad hops on. I guess it's going to be a couple minutes late, but um, yeah, we did have a have a Thorchain meetup. Um, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> there's oh, there's Chad coming up. Chad, how you doing, man? GM. Good morning. Uh, yeah, sorry, a little congested. I guess I got the proof of attendance for uh, East Denver. Not not feeling like under the weather, but definitely a little congested. Uh, hope, hope you're all right, Chad. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Perfect. Cool. Yeah, so uh, we did have a have a Thorchain meetup, which was pretty good, uh, and uh, a bunch of people came out. It wasn't like crazy. It was at this it's at this brewery uh, in in Denver. I, I couldn't be more descriptive than that. I don't like where it is. Uh, it, it was a pretty cool spot, but. Uh, we were just kind of in the back and just a bunch of, you know, OG supporters came out and uh, the Shapeshift guys were there and people have been with the project for a long time. Obviously, Chad was there, uh, me, Gavin uh, and uh, Eridanis from, from Nine Realms were also there. And uh, hey, it's just a good time uh, seeing everybody and uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of familiar faces that, that come around to all these events. So uh yeah, it's it's just nice catching up with the community, especially the, the shapeshift guys, because I don't think uh, a lot of us just haven't uh, really had a lot of uh, you know FaceTime with them. But it it, it was really nice, uh, just like seeing seeing that DAO and uh, you know just just being just being there together because we're all we're all pretty aligned. So it's uh, just really nice to get that that, that FaceTime in too. It reminds you that uh, we're all we're all people out here, not just you know text on uh on twitter or, or discord or, or whatever that's awesome yeah i'm just a pfp on twitter uh, <laughs> not, not much else uh, <laughs> i also saw chad is apparently a pro go-kart driver in his spare time chad is actually really good at the go-kart yes <laughs> that was fun that was actually a lot of fun um Kyle was there, and uh, Pluto was there. Like a bunch of the nine realms teams, we just did like, like a go kart fucking you know thing, and it was it was it was like just it was nothing but fun. I actually nailed Pluto hard. Like Pluto was t- took a turn, like he's in front of me, and he's taking this kind of like this hairpin, and he like spun out, like he he just like literally spun out, and I just like railed into him so hard. I felt so bad about it. <laughs> I just let all my Pluto aggression out on, on the track. <laughs> all that built up tension <laughs> and uh, in exchange you got you got lending for the next uh for the next release yes uh i think the the pr is pretty much pretty much done now and i think we've I don't know, enough people put their their voices into it that i think it's ready to be merged probably this week or quite soon it'll probably be in version 107 uh the actual code itself will land in 107 so and the next release, we'll, we'll have it on uh, StageNet. And uh, once we have StageNet, we can start testing it, validating it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we can throw it onto mainnet. 
Cool. So about about testing, um, do you want to like go into kind of how that how the testing is going to be going down for for lending? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the regression test framework or or anything like that. Uh, just just having to do with like testing lending on a stage net before uh, it goes to mainnet. Yeah, we haven't actually had much talk, conversation about um, what is going to be test on stage net exactly, like the actual steps. Uh, myself and, and Pluto and others will probably have to get together at some point in the near future to start talking about like what are the actual tests we want to start doing and then um, encouraging people in the community to start testing as well and start playing with it. Um, the really nice thing is that um, one of the, our, our devs um, on Nine Realm side has worked on this like regression test concept. And so it's a way of like describing uh, on a very high level uh, through like a configuration file, like which, which is in YAML format of like testing certain expectations. Like if we do a swap and the results of the swap is this or whatever, or loans being opened or loans being closed and all this kind of stuff. So this is actually a new framework for, for testing, which is actually really well done, done well by, um, by URSA. Um, and so we've been pulling upon that for lending. But like I think lending is the first or one of the first uh, features to get this kind of new testing suite uh, to help validate its, 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 uh, you know, its assumptions. So um, yeah, uh, the great thing about that is that because it's a YAML configuration about like how you do testing, like it really opens up for the community to start contributing to the code base without being coders themselves, right? So as long as you can write a YAML file, which is just a, a text file, there's nothing really codey about it. It's just kind of describing some concepts via just a, a, a YAML file. Then you can contribute unit tests uh, to the to the uh, to the uh, uh, the project, which actually really be beneficial. So, at some point in the future, I think Nine Realms will be kind of talking to the community about this and encouraging them to uh, contribute unit tests or sorry regression tests uh, to the network. And then um, there'll be some like uh, bounties as well associated with that. So, if you find if you increase the coverage by X amount, you'll get some rune. And if you uh, find an, a, a bug or a problem, you know. Uh, a failing test that should not be failing or something like this, um, then we'll probably have a bug bounty as that for that as well. So it'll allow more people to contribute without being coders themselves. Cool. So what's it like actually adding a unit test? Is it, is it basically just like running some kind of mock net and just testing the accounting when, when it, whenever like an action is made, just simulating, you know, withdrawal at uh, LP ads and withdrawals and, and synths and, and everything and just like make sure that the accounting is right on all the ends? Yeah, basically at a high level, that's kind of what's happening. Um, you're just like, it's spinning up an actual, um, like a, a local full node of, of like a, its own chain. And then it's, you know, creating a certain genesis, meaning that it's it's like populating the state with a bunch of pools, maybe, or liquidity providers or some sort of like an or, like original state. And then it does some tra some transaction or series transactions and then checks the output to make sure everything is like legitimate and matches what we think it should be. It's very similar to the smoke test we've already been doing for a long time. Um, it's not quite the same, but it's conceptually has a lot of similarities. Um, but I think it'd be very, very beneficial for the, for the project. It makes it a lot easier like writing these 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 tests for regression tests is a lot easier than writing the the smoke test. The smoke test is like a huge pain in the ass. It's very effective and it does what what does very very well, but it's really hard to to like build and maintain and like that's been a, a pain on our side for a long period of time. This regression test is easier to to test, easier to maintain uh, than the smoke tests are, but doesn't doesn't test as much as the smoke test can't test. 
Cool. So hopefully we uh, we see lending on StageNet real soon, and then people can can start testing and, and validating. And then uh, I, I guess after some period of time, then eventually it'll be rolled out onto mainnet with some some training wheels on, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you thought more about the about the rollout itself, and I don't I don't think we've come to a um, a consensus on you know what the uh, you know, what, what like the min max CR will be and, and all those other things. But I, I guess that'll be a discussion while things are in testing. Yeah. I don't think we've really come to a conclusion. I certainly haven't come to even within my own mind uh, about what the min and max CR is going to be. Um, we'll have a discussion as a community, you know, downstream for that. The idea of like how it scales, like we would like, historically, we've always done something like, you know, like raise the caps, right? Like it's like a common thing we've done in the past. And lending will be a little bit different than that. There won't be a, like a raise the caps concept. The network would actually raise its own caps uh, dynamically relative to how the the features like itself is performing in some sense. And so, like for example, um, there's a 15 million rune gap between uh, the the max supply, which is supposed to be 500 million, and the current max supply on the actual chain is like 485. Million, so we're, we're approximately like a fifteen million gap. This is because of the kill switch, right? Not everybody picked their rune. They had the BEP two rune or the RC twenty rune they had, and they didn't mint an equal quantity of it on the other side because they've been doing it delayed or waiting or whatever it is. And so there's a it's kind of like a, a, a reduced supply of rune that's supposed to be five hundred million, but right now it's at four hundred eighty five million. So this gives us a little bit of like a buffer to play with uh, for this new lending feature. And so mathematically, what's going to happen is. Uh, we take the current like outstanding supply, which right now is that 15 million I referred to, and we divide by some um, some number, which is probably going to be the number three, most likely. Uh, so you get a result of 5 million runes. So this is this 5 million rune is the total amount of rune uh, that could be used for collateral, like in terms of value. So like you, you could take in $5 million, 5 million rune worth of BDC and ETH and whatever other uh, um, pools that have lending enabled on it. And so that's at the starting grade. So you, so in that hypothetical scenario, if the room price were to dive three x relative to the assets, and then a hundred percent of all the loans were to, you know, close your loans, then all that would happen is you would mint back the fifteen million room that you burnt as part of the kill switch, and we're back to the, the same monetary policy we've been the whole the whole time. So it's like a, it's not really that big of a, of a deal in my opinion. If it goes beyond that, like the price of room goes beyond that 3x, it goes to 4x or 5x, something larger, then it starts kind of borrowing from the from the reserve, in which case, you know, even if it goes to 4x, you know, uh, it wouldn't really borrow that much from the reserve. Like, probably, I think that would be even less than what ILP has, has given out, for example. Um, but even like, if you look at historically, the... Uh, worst moment in like Thor Chain's history was obviously you know the hacks a couple of years ago, and even then that we saw like a, a three and a half a three point three I think was the number uh, price change relative to Bitcoin, and so like we're assuming the worst case scenario we've seen historically in the, in, the, in terms of the price of the asset itself. So that's what giving that's what's giving us the guidance of that number that three number is because it's relative to in the worst case scenario we saw multiple hacks we saw the chain get halted we saw all these things like. The most amount of FUD around the project at that particular time, and he, like then we saw approximately like a three X price change. Uh, so that that we're using that as a kind of a guider to figure out like what is a safe amount. 
to start with. And so as we start burning more room from the networks, we're in aware of that 15 million I mentioned, and we start burning more room um, you know, from the network because of this uh, lending feature, like another 5 million rooms burned. Now you've gone from 15 million to 20 million, and now you divide that by three. And so you, you can kind of see how um, that this, the feature kind of scales itself uh, naturally as, as the feature, feature is successful, as it gets more and more utilized, as the price of Rune is, is performing well relative to the asset, that just kind of creates more space for more loans to be opened. And if it's the office that's happening, things aren't performing so well for whatever reasons, then it kind of goes in the opposite direction. So it kind of stops new loans from being opened in a sense. So it, it kind of like governs itself in a matter of speaking. Interesting. I'm. Can you can you explain that um, that again? How it scales up and scales down. I'm trying to uh, understand that. Yeah. So it does it in yeah. two two different ways uh, to think about mathematically. Um, the one is is the the quantity of rune that is that is missing from the supply. Like right. So like 500 million is the expectation, and right now we're at 485. And if we, you know, burn another 5 million rune, it's, you know, 480, right? So it gives you some number and you divide that by three, right? Whatever that number is. So if it's 15 million right now, divide by three, you're left with 5 million rune. This is the total amount of collateral that can be collected for, for loans, like in, in total, in totality. So 5 million rune worth of value. So it'll collect some BDC, it'll collect some ETH, but the total value of that BDC or that ETH is cannot, will not exceed uh, that kind of 5 million uh, cap that's at that particular moment. And so as people start burning more rune, it goes from that 15 million to, you know, 20 million and 20 million to 21 million and so forth and so on. So that's one way to scale it. As we burn more rune, we, we kind of allow more loans to be opened up in that sense. Oh, I got you. So, so the, um, the maximum rune, the maximum value that can be burned out of the pools is one third of the difference between the current, supply and right. the 500 million total supply at, at all times. So as more rune is burned, then it scales up in only one third as much as is, is burned. Right. So that's the first component to it. The second component to it is just the price movement of rune versus the assets, right? So um, if 5 million rune is the, the current max that we allow in terms of collateral, we say we get a bunch of BDC and a bunch of ETH that equals the total that equals, you know, the amount of the 5 million rune, right? And then so tomorrow, let's just say that Rune goes up 20% relative to Bitcoin, which might go up 10%. And so now all of a sudden we have more, we have more space because that 5 million Rune uh, is worth more than, than it was yesterday. And the Bitcoin that was yesterday is worth more or less the same. See what I mean? So it's like as the, as the Rune price performs well relative to the asset, it creates more space because the previous loans that were, that were opened yesterday are doing well, right? Because the rooms perform outperforming the asset, and so you know the the loans that are open, you know, yesterday that were open yesterday, they're all doing, they're all in good status, they're all in good standing. So we could kind of like, kind of raise the cap a little bit, allow more loans to be opened up because the previous loans are in good state. So we can go ahead and you know allow more risk onto the protocol because the previous loans are you know not at risk because they're they're uh, they're doing quite well for, for the network. So there's really those two components of like. We're reducing the supply of room, which increases the kind of cap in a sense. And then also the price of room and its performance relative to the assets will also kind of either increase more space or take away space, depending upon how things are performing. So in the other direction, if Rune is underperforming, then is that just basically maxing out 
uh, the lending at that time. And it just kind of goes like above cap, but it's just essentially, it's just essentially closed for that period. Yeah. Effectively at that point, if Rune is underperforming the, the assets, then you have more collateral, like in terms of dollar value of collateral than dollar value of that, like, you know, f- let's call it 5 million Rune. In which case the CR would be very, very high and, and, and you wouldn't be able to open up new loans. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes you got to think about it like if this feature works and it does what we think it does, we want this, this thing to, to naturally scale up as it kind of proves itself. Right. If it doesn't do so well and it's going the other direction, then we want to kind of scale down the feature in a sense and, and kind of close it down. Right. So it's kind of like taking market signals and then like, okay, as the market believes in this thing and as it's performing well, blah, 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 we can kind of slowly kind of, uh, let it kind of scale up. And if it's not, then it scales down either direction. Cool. Yeah, I'm sure people are really excited to start testing that out. And uh, you know, hopefully as, as soon as as soon as next week, we'd love to love to see it. So it should be the, it should be the next release, I believe. So uh, yeah, whenever, whenever the next release is out on, on StageNet, then I guess the testing will commence. And I would just keep an eye out on uh, Twitter slash Discord for updates on that if if anyone here is like interested in in testing and uh i think it's possible that we might do a um like some kind of discord stage just some something about uh the regression test framework and just like explaining how it works and how to use it and maybe how to how to write some tests so i uh, i would also keep a lookout for that as well if you're interested in in like in writing some of these tests or just uh, testing some of the new features that, that are coming out especially lending so uh, I would just keep an eye out for that on, on Discord slash Twitter and for any kind of announcement if you're interested. Or, or of course, just reach out um, to, to Nine Realms and uh, we will get something set up. And uh, yeah, cool. Um, on the testing side, will there, is there anything more planned for kind of like the, the economic angles rather than just code angles? Because that doesn't really get fully tested on, on stage net just because the economics are different um, or is it just those guardrails we were just talking about and that's kind of just like the way to get it started um, <clears throat> yeah economics are done outside of stage net for the most part um, there's I think there's actually a little bit more to do in that regard like there's some, there's some more math I want to actually want to play with personally that I haven't um, gone around and actually played with but but the economics, I think, is pretty, pretty, pretty good for the most part. Um, you're right then that stagent doesn't really t- test some some things because there just isn't the liquidity or the demand there, right? That stagent, not mainnet. But you can just test whether or not the the code paths actually work and things produce the correct result of what we expect and that kind of stuff. And then we just launch it on mainnet. You really don't get the the ability to test like the market until it's on mainnet. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and 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 I guess that's why to like make launch in a way where there are like uh, guardrails in a sense, like the the max supply and all that. Yeah, as we, as we always like to do when we launch a new feature, we like to put guardrails on it, right? Just to, just for safety's sake. Anything goes wrong, then it's not that big of a deal because the amount of liquidity that's being applied to it is relatively small, and it's not really uh, anything to be concerned about. Yeah, speaking of that, um, 
which which assets slash pools would be initially available for lending. I, I like I think a lot of these things are kind of up up in the air right now, but I wasn't sure if, uh, whether it was going the direction of uh, just Bitcoin, Bitcoin and ETH, or or everything. I think it's probably more likely that it's just going to be Bitcoin or Bitcoin and ETH to, to start out, just to lower the lower the surface area there. But uh, yeah, what what do you what did you think about that? I think the consensus was uh, to do just Bitcoin or maybe Bitcoin ETH. I think that's is debatable. Might just start with Bitcoin. It's like one pool to start and then um, and then add another one once we feel more confident about the the code and the, and the path on that kind of stuff. Whether we go beyond that to you know other assets, um, I think that will require um, some community discussion and debates around that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I think it's like what's interesting is that this lending design is obviously very different than everything else in the space. And the demand for this lending design will be different on a per asset basis, right? Like um, the demand for Bitcoin is going to be higher than the demand for Bitcoin uh, for Ether because there's lots of ways you can get an ETH loan, right? There's lots of options out there already and not much for Bitcoin. The demand for Bitcoin is much higher, but then you have um, smaller assets like, um, you know, let's just say AVEX, for example, or Doge, something like this, where the demand will probably be less, right? So the some of the economic as, uh, assumptions about how this stuff works is relative to, to different assets will be different. And so I think uh, when we test on lending for Bitcoin and we see that it has X result, whether that's positive or negative doesn't really quite matter. It doesn't necessarily mean that launching it for, you know, uh, Litecoin or Dash would have the same result because of the, it's a different economics behind it. Um, in terms of like the demand for that asset and and that kind of stuff, and so like you might see, for example, that the CR is very much higher on uh, Bitcoin because it's much more in demand. But then the uh, for like something a smaller asset like uh, Litecoin or something like this, um, it'll be CR will likely be smaller, right? Because there's less of a demand for that asset than for Bitcoin. So it's it'll, we'll see how it all works out. But that all that stuff can actually change the result of like how lending how how, how performant lending is working in terms of its efficiency of achieving its goal. And so it'd be interesting to see how things are different from pool A to, to pool B. Yeah, and as always, I'm sure that the demand center is going to be on on Bitcoin, especially, you know, how deep the pool is in relation to everything else. And uh, obviously that, that not being offered anywhere else. So like, even if it was only on, on Bitcoin, I don't think it's really missing out on that much functionality elsewhere, just just because of of slip and the, the actual depth of the pool itself. So um, so even if, it, if it's non-existent on, on other chains or uh, you know, limited to, to maybe just just a couple of the mo- of the deepest assets. Uh, you wouldn't be able to take out a huge Litecoin loan anyway, because there's a, a relatively low pool depth where uh, you get wrecked on slippage uh, doing that because of all the swaps that are made when you actually open and close a loan. Right, right, right. So yeah, cool. Anything else on uh, on lending and and. Uh, Getting it out to StageNet? I don't know, but maybe, uh, Pluto, do you have anything you want to bring up? I know you're in the audience, but something you've been thinking about. I'll uh, invite him up and see if he wants to come up. I guess in the meantime, we could talk a little bit about um, kind of what, what else happened at uh, East Denver. So, uh, yeah, I, it, was a, it was a super productive 
trip. Um, it, it was, uh, Chad, Chad, you were there. Um, I, okay. We got Pluto up now. So what's up, Pluto? Hey, how's it, how's it going guys? GM. Uh, good to be back. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of these. It's nice to hear everyone on the call again. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, excited to be here. Um, yeah. So one Oh seven, um, yeah, this, this lending is the last PR and I just saw that, um, Chad, you sent some commits on it um, this morning. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go and poke uh, Thorsak and, and then some of the guys from our team who have been reviewing this to get it um, to get the final reviews in. And then, yeah, we should have it on StageNet early next week. Um, so that'll be super exciting. Um, we'll actually be able to take out a real loan with real Bitcoin since StageNet uses real assets. So that's actually, I mean, of course, the the CRs will be kind of wonky and it will be a pretty low uh, loan amount, but it will, it will technically be the first D5 Bitcoin loan ever, uh, ever originated. So that'll be exciting. I'll, maybe I'll let you do the honors, Chad. Um, but yeah, just in terms of like, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing outstanding still is just figuring out um, like a, you know, whether the nodes uh, will vote to enable the feature on mainnet. And then B, um, you know, what the what those starting parameters for like the max CR is going to be. Um, so that's something like I think Nine Realms will um, will help try to guide at least the discussion around um, is what what is the appropriate um, you know max CR? What, what are the appropriate launch parameters for the the feature? And so one of the things that myself and some other um, um, members of the team have expressed interest in doing is uh, basically building like a risk tolerance framework. Um, so very, really similar to just how like any bank will like mark the assets on their loan books um, to basically figure out what their like the current exposure of their loan books are um, at any given time, we should be able to see um, if we had, well, basically we should be able to see you know, in the form of a real-time dashboard, like what is the what is the current loan exposure, um, you know, across all of the different loans that have been that have been um, issued. So basically, if we were to, if everyone were to go and repay back their loans right now, what would be the amount of rune minted at this exact point in time, at this pool depths, at this, you know, at these prices? Um, so yeah, working on basically the uh, real-time monitoring of the risk for the lending product is one aspect of it. And then what's going to help guide the determining like what the appropriate um, initial uh, parameters for the collateralization ratio will be um, a basically like a simulation framework um, where we'll be able to see it say um, if we have this amount of outstanding loans and this is the current price of Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin rose to this amount, but the, you know, the price of rune stayed at this amount or vice versa. If the price of Bitcoin stays relatively um, stable, but for, you know, for due to some um, event, you know, impacting Thorchain only, um, for example, something like the hacks um, where we saw the price of Bitcoin, or sorry, the price of rune reduce relative to Bitcoin, um, you know, how much would it have to reduce to raise the, um, the outstanding 
um, the outstanding loan redemption liability to what we would consider um, an unacceptable degree. Um, so yeah, just like having some way of kind of seeing the different like tolerances, um, having different bands, and then basically having, you know, a couple choices where we say, okay, if you think that it's possible that this event occurs and we'll kind of lay out like a simulation, uh, then we suggest you, you vote for this, you know, collateralization ratio. If you think that that's not possible, but maybe something a little bit less, um, you know, a, a little bit less of a, of a negative um, event like this might happen, then you should vote for this. So what, what we plan to do is really just show the node operators and show the community um, sort of different events and then ask the community, what do you think is plausible that could happen, you know, either now six months to a year or two years down the line. Um, and then, you know, we'll do sort of like a, a, um, one of those, a vote that we do similar to um, like the synth utilization vote where a vote for the most conservative, uh, sorry, a vote for the most um, pr like progressive uh, collateralization ratio is also a vote for the most conservative. And so the sum of votes for the most, cons like the sum of votes at the bottom of the most conservative becomes what we will we'll put in main net um, for the launch. So I think, I think we have a, a pretty good like idea of kind of how, uh, or at least that's my idea. I'm open to discussions about, about basically how we'll do the, you know, the analysis and then we'll do basically the voting for, for how to turn on um, um, how we'll, how we'll turn on the, uh, right. And unless, unless there's just like consensus within the community, like if core team and devs and, you know, everyone kind of on discord all agrees on like a number, then I'll just open an ADR for, for that number, for that collateralization ratio. And obviously that would be the easiest if we all kind of just agreed on something, but different node operators, different stakeholders may have varying degrees of what they deem to be an acceptable level of risk for this uh, feature. And so if we have to, we'll, we'll kind of vote on risk, but then, it, but ideally we just kind of all agree on it and we can, we can just kind of skip that part of it. Um, so that's kind of how I see like the, um, you know, like the, 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 the activation of the feature in mainnet playing out. But yeah, at this point, the, the, the PR itself has gone through, I mean, just like months at this point of um, of rigorous feedback and review from Thorsec and Nine Realms. And uh, Chad, I just wanted to thank you for um, being so patient in, you know, and, and also like, you know, waiting for us to basically build this regression framework so that we could use it to test the actual feature. I think that will have been worth the wait. So I know to the community, everyone is, everyone's super excited to see this get landed. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we needed to land first in order to feel that we were doing this safely. So I think we're now finally at that point and yeah, super excited to get this in the next release. So I'm curious to ask you, Pluto, like from your viewpoint, um, how much, like how much time, how much testing would you like to see on StageNet? Um, I know this is something that you're going to be kind of heading up and, and, and putting a lot of thought towards. So like, I'm curious to understand like um, how much testing you want to see on, on, on StageNet. Like, do you, is there an ETA that you think uh, we could have to, to see this on mainnet? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think that like the functional testing of the feature on StageNet is going to take that long at all. I mean, we've 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 tested this pretty rigorously on on MockNet already and with the regression test framework. So I think from like a functionality standpoint, it will be. I mean, I, I'm 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 confident that the feature will work um, as intended from the day that it lands. So I actually don't think that like the time that it spends on StageNet will be like needing to like bang on the feature that much. I'm I'm pretty confident that the feature works. The 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 the, the duration of time that it takes between um, when we go when when we release it on StageNet and when we actually go to vote to enable it on Mainnet, I think is really just a function of how long it takes the community um, to come up with an acceptable you know, what, determine what our what our risk appetite is for the feature and then come up with a consensus on what the launch parameters are. And if we have consensus on that, then um, that'll be great. But I know that like at least Nine Realms wants to spend, you know, maybe a couple weeks um, doing some analysis about, you know, about, about what would be, um, you know, acceptable risk tolerances, at least from our perspective. So yeah, all right. Cool. I could see, I could see it on. I don't know. Why don't we say? Why don't we say four twenty YOLO? Why don't we? Why don't we call that the? We'll try. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, that'll give us the launch date. We'll give us like a month and ten days. Yeah, I feel like four twenty is a good one. Why not? Yeah, I think we could, we could probably do some more work around like when we when we do a, a our stage and testing that anything we're doing on stage and we should probably just add a regression test for even if it's passing. Yeah. Right, just to like, just a more, just to throw more uh, stuff at like. Maybe we should do that as well as, as a as a team. Yeah, I know. Like Ur like Ursa said, like like you know, we have all the happy path regression tests, but like, I think that we want to add more regression tests around, um, you know, kind of like this, like the not so happy path, like, um, yeah. trying to open alone, you know, just like trying to trying to you know trying to test the the. The not the unsuccessful, um, yeah. Trying to test the unsuccessful paths. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we should probably do some more more work around that. I think we'll do that at stage end, but we should also add the reg regression test as well. Yeah, for sure. Sweet guys, I mean the community is super excited, and thank you both for all the hard work that you guys have both done on this and everyone's like everyone's excited to see it on stage net and then especially once it's live i'm sure uh it's gonna be gonna be a big day so looking forward to 420 now absolutely Thanks, I'm, I'm, yeah i would like to give a, a quick update just something for people to think about um so i've, I've been working on binance smart chain um always these evm chains are just more complex than like Cosmos chains, for example. So I might have um, overestimated the, or underestimated how much, um, you know, work was going to need to be able to get like Binance Smart Chain working on MockNet. But yeah, there, that's still coming. Um, hopefully you have that like on StageNet in like the next week or two. Um, but we had some interesting discussions um, with like, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you exactly who, but I'll just say, they're a, they're a very prominent like EVM bridging project. Um, and so like, we're basically kind of now like wondering whether it's even worth adding Binance Smart Chain because 
if we were to integrate with that um, with that bridge, then they wouldn't. Basically, you wouldn't need um, you wouldn't need Binance Smart Chain. Like you would only really need um, a pool for their for their project, um, and then we would basically be able to. Because basically, like they they will probably beat us to market on new EVM um, bridge integrations like ninety nine percent of the time, um, and EVM integrations are pretty pretty costly. Like as we know, Binance Smart Chain is like it's going to cost another thousand dollars a month to run, and it's questionable whether like at you know these EVM forks like are even worth it. For example, like AVAX is not making enough in liquidity fees to even justify its existence on ThorChain right now. So we're kind of like, I, I think we're still gonna move forward with adding Binance Smart Chain, but um, the strategy is like starting to evolve a bit um, in, in our discussions, you know, in business development discussions um, as to whether it's even necessary for, or whether it's even like a good use of our time or of validators money and resources to go after all the EVM forks, or just to like um, partner with uh, you know partner with, with with bridges that are able to do that um, you know more 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 quickly. So um, it's definitely interesting. I think I think one of the themes of like what we're trying to figure out right now is sort of like you know what are um, what are the core competencies that Thorchain can fill that no other um, no other project can fill. And I'm, I'm beginning to see like more and more that, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that like we are, we have a huge like differentiator in, um, in, in EVM. I'm not even sure that we're necessarily going to have a big differentiator on in, in, in the cosmos. So like, I think where our efforts are best um, concentrated are again on the UTXO side of things. But also, I'm starting to come around to the um, to the idea that like that, that crypto note is going to be a big um, differentiating, um, you know, a, a big differentiator for Thorchain. So I would be interested to, you know, once we ship lending, like really revisit um, what we can do to make the network more censorship resistant, um, so that we can start to, uh, you know, reinvigorate that debate around crypto note. Um, but I'm starting to come around to that as being like a, 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 a something that Thorchain definitely needs. Music to my ears. Excited to hear that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like wow, yeah. Like what are the Huge. what are the things that like you know Thorchain can do that no other bridge or project can do? And as we've been talking to different projects and different bridges about potential partnerships it's clear that they're not, they're not even like trying to go after UTXOs or, um, or crypto notes. So if that's where we can be the most competitive, I think it makes sense to try and try and, you know, uh, double down on those things. Yeah. Even, even a project like Chainflip, um, which we'll launch at some point in time in the future, uh, I'm pretty sure they can't support something like Monero or a crypto note chain because they use um, a specific thing, um, which I'm now blanking the name of the top of my head. Um, Schnorr. Schnorr signatures, yes. They use uh, Schnorr signatures to, to sign transactions. And so it makes an assumption that the, that, the, that the chain you're interacting with has a Schnorr signature of capabilities, which not all do. And I think CryptoNotes one of the ones that does not. And so I think that's one of the ways we can, we can even from competitors who are either forking our code like Maya or forking our white paper like Chainflip, uh, we can still stay 
quite competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And then with also with regards to chain flip, like, you know, one of the things that, yeah. So one of the things I want to make sure that we're doing as a team is not getting um, so caught up in our own ecosystem that we're sort of missing the developments in other ecosystems as well. So, you know, as after we ship lending, um, we're really going to like as a team, I start, I think, start to change gears on what we're focusing on. So, um, you know, once we can stop shipping features on, um, you know, on ThorChain, on ThorChain's native protocol, um, the two things that we're going to focus on are obviously security. Um, there's going to be a ton of eyes turning to ThorChain as we continue to integrate more and more protocols, as we begin to turn on, you know, revolutionary features like lending, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny around it. So just doing, you know, doubling down on security um, throughout the rest of this year is going to be one major, um, one of the major themes. Again, partnerships, business development and integrations is another major theme. And then the other thing that, you know, I want to make sure that we're still doing is keeping on top of the developments of the broader crypto ecosystem. So whether that means um, building out, you know, something to support like the Bitcoin ordinals marketplace, um, you know, to capture um, some of that attention. I know Familiar Cow has some, you know, interesting ideas and thoughts on that. I would love to be able to be, you know, focusing more time and attention on, um, you know, new innovations, um, especially in like the UTXO and ordinal space, because again, I think that's something that ThorChain can uniquely deliver that no other projects can deliver. So definitely interested in um, spending time looking at that. Um, but all, what was the other thing too? Oh yeah, also like um, just figuring out like, uh, so like I read the uh, article about um, Chainflip's um, JIT AMM pricing, their, their just-in-time liquidity provisioning um, model. And it's pretty interesting. Like, so... It, you know, if, if they're able to beat us on the, the Bitcoin to ETH pricing, um, that's obviously not going to be a great thing for um, ThorChain because you can assume, excuse me, you can assume that any neutral aggregator, so something like, you know, Rango or ThorSwap, like they'll eventually, you know, evolve beyond just ThorChain. They're, they're, they're not, they don't exist to, to just, you know, send liquidity to the ThorChain protocol. They exist to give their users the best, you know, execution price. So I wouldn't be surprised if ThorSwap ends up, you know, integrating Chainflip's liquidity pools at some point as well. And so if, you know, if, it doesn't matter if ThorChain is in Trust Wallet today, if ThorChain doesn't have the best X on the Bitcoin to Ethereum route, at some point in time, Chainflip will be, you know, taking that, that, that volume from us. So staying on top of the developments um, that allow them you know, even if we have the deepest Bitcoin pool in the world, if they have this JIT AMM um, um, capability that allows them to price um, that pair better than us, um, then they will, you know, then they'll basically be winning on that route. Um, so one of the things that I want to start to look at is whether we can build something like JIT AMM um, with ThorChain. And I'd be really curious to, uh, to talk to you more about that, Chad, because... Um, I, I was, I was, I was talking to Gavin the other day and I was thinking like, you know, you know, nine realms holds a bunch of rune, like, you know, if we also had, you know, a bunch of Bitcoin that we were able to do to, to basically do like, to basically like become a market maker 
um, to hold, to basically sideline capital until like the exact block or potentially like sideline synthetic BTC so that in the exact block that we see someone trying to do like a big swap, we could do a quick liquidity provision and then do like a centralized exchange ARB and then do a, a liquidity withdraw in order to not be exposed to the impermanent loss protection, but then to be able to, sorry, to not be exposed to the impermanent loss of holding that um, LP for a long time, but then also, so being able to like take some um, of the, you know, basically being able to make some money off the swap, but also give users of ThorChain a much better execution price. I think that's definitely something um, worth looking into is like, again, not, not letting other um, teams come in and, you know, use these sort of like clever, um, you know, it's not, it's not purely technical, right? It's like a technical and a financial innovation. Um, it requires a market maker, an intelligent market maker, um, as well as, a, you know, the, uh, uh, the protocol that allows you to do that kind of thing. But if we were able to um, build something like that into ThorChain that allowed um, advanced AMMs like, um, you know, Nine Realms and, and some of our other partners, to be able to do that kind of uh, just-in-time um, LP allocation, um, I think that that would, you know, again, just help us to continue to shore up our competitive advantage over firms like Chainflip and all the other forks in the space that are going to try to, uh, that are going to try to like pop up, right? Because like they can fork our code, but they can't fork our liquidity and they can't fork the, you know, the teams of market makers in the, in the industry that are, that are supporting Thorchain. So I think as like the, the, the protocol starts to ossify a bit, we need to focus on basically getting more advanced players and market makers to provide um, liquidity so that we will always be the best execution. Yeah, going off of what you're saying, Pluto, uh, there's been a lot of conversations, especially around us tripling down on integrations. And that's, and that's something that we have today that nobody else has today. No one else has a live protocol today that is actually working for cross-chain cross -chain swaps. And so like th this next 12 months is the time to get into every single one of these major wallets, major exchanges, major aggregators, and to start providing those routes while there is no one else, no one else has a, a working mainnet right now. We, we've had one for two years at this point. So we have a major competitive advantage right now, and we need to capitalize on that while continuing to innovate, uh, obviously, and seeing what these other protocols are doing and, you know, just matching the user experience that you could get on, on another service or a centralized service, something like Changely, ChangeNow, and Exchange, like there's, there's 5 million of them. And I think with this next round of integrations, the, the, these next, so the, like the next people that, who are like looking to integrate ThorChain, uh, they, they really care about their user's experience. And they, they, like, they don't even, uh, it doesn't even show you what service you're using. It just, it just automatically, they have, like, they, they have a server just queries all of these quotes and just picks the best one and, uh, and then sends the transaction. And then bam, you, you swap Bitcoin to ETH. 15 seconds later, you don't even know what route you used. And all of a sudden you have, you have your ETH, right? So one of the things that, that we need to be doing is continuing to improve the, the UX and the, uh, yeah, just the, the user, the user experience, like how much, how much slippage, uh, is like being taken out of each of these trades? Like how do we become the preferred route, 
because like we, we we have we have the the you know the most secure most decentralized bitcoin vaults but we also need to make sure that we have the the best pricing because a lot of users they just don't care they they want to they want best x these wallets don't don't care they they want to have a smooth experience for their users so a lot of this is just going to be uh you know, be, being pushed by these partners to improve like our UX, our like developer experience and um, making it so we, we get the users like when, once we're finally integrated and in, in these wallets uh, that they have the, the centralized experience, but using our our liquidity and uh, our swap service. Yeah, yeah. we're going to sorry, I was going to say we're going to we're going to. Um... We're going to win on that power law distribution in terms of like getting an early mover advantage on integrations. Um, but, you know, there will be people who, you know, eventually, you know, there will be competitors in the space eventually. So, yeah, that we just need to always make sure we're keeping on top of the um, innovations that allow people to outpace us um, on pricing and just make sure that we're always ahead on that. Yeah, so so my personal feelings on on JIT is quite negative. Like I understand the value of it. Like um, Uniswap already does it to some degree, and you know it works well for them, I suppose, in some sense. But the problem with JIT, in my, in my opinion, is that it cannibalizes the LPs. Like unless you're an an active LP and you're constantly making like transactions all the time, almost continuously, to you know adjust your position for you know every swap coming into the, to this like some decks or whatever. Um, you're basically like, like with, you're using concentrated liquidity in that sense, if I'm not mistaken, and you're you're kind of extracting the value that the LPs are normally getting because you're an active LP and, and there's no space for basically passive LPs. Like we see this on Uniswap v3, where like for most people who are on Uniswap v3, they're at loss. They're they're at a significant loss. Uh, the ones that are kind of like the more data science people who can like manage their positions and actively run servers to manage the opposition, they, they're the ones that collect all the income of, of the pool. And everybody else who's just like a, a normal average Joe would, would just kind of, get, kind of get cleaned up, especially in, in chain flip scenario, because in chain flip scenario, uh, instead of using, you know, Rune every, as, as one of the assets in all the pools, they're using USDC, right? So they're, they're a decentralized exchange using a centralized coin to be the other half of every pool. And you can imagine that because one of the assets is volatile and one of the assets is non-volatile, the amount of IL that you would experience as an LP on Chainful would be quite like quite high, like orders of magnitude larger than what you would normally see with uh, 4Chain. And so you can compound that with the idea of like the IL is going to be massive on Chainflip and the fact that nobody's really making any income unless you're one of these like, you know, active people that, is, that are using, utilizing shit. Everybody else is just going to get like basically wiped out in some sense or like be at a loss and not really making much money at all. And that, so that becomes like a problem of like you're, you're basically – you're prioritizing the swapper over over the LP, right? You're shitting on the LP and you're giving the swapper a better a better trade, right? Um, in Thorchain's case, we don't really use JIT, of course, and, and so we use um, our, uh, uh, synthetics to arbitrage these pools to correct the price right before the swap occurs. In a matter of speaking, we can, we can keep the price very the pool price very closely related to the market price, and since do that well uh, fairly well already. Um, and when they do that, like they're actually not taking away from LPs, they're contributing. They're, they're swappers themselves. They're contributing value to the LPs rather than, rather than extracting value from the LPs. And so that's a very, very different in how it works. Now, if the situation arises that we find that we're no longer competitive in terms of our Bitcoin pricing, right? So 
we're the only we're the only player in the game. We have been for you know over a year now or, or two, whatever it's been. Um, and you know we can charge whatever prices we want because there's not really much uh, much competition. Of course, that's not going to always going to be true, and more protocols can be coming onto the future, which is well and fine. And if we wanted to kind of be more competitive on price wise in terms of slippage and that kind of thing, then we can just create um, virtual pools, right? We've been doing this the entire time with synthetics, also like. Synthetics also has the ability to, to have like a, 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 a virtual pool depth where you double the pool depth and then you apply the same mathematics and makes a fee, uh, you know, uh, significantly less. And so if we do find that we want to be more competitive on price wise with, with Bitcoin or, or whatever we want to do, it's really like a four or five line change in, in Thorchain, on Thorchain and then on Mamir to, to enable it, right? So if, you want, if we want to get more, more competitive in pricing, we can do that. But the reverse of that is like obviously if you're if you're being more competitive in pricing, you means there's yet less yield coming into the pool itself, and so savers and LPs and nodes, you know, get a little bit less in terms of re their reward. So that there's a balance to be struck. It's, it's not like you can just offer like oh best project execution, and there's not a downside to that. And so there's we as a community have to kind of come together and figure out what we want to do and how we want to move forward. And is price execution the most important thing? Is, is LP yield most important thing? We can debate and argue this topic, you know, all day long, but but at some point we'll have that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Like there's some wallets that really, really care about price and then some that kind of care about price and care about the, the US. It's like every single, like, I mean, you consider consider these different customers of ThorChain. Each customer has their own different needs and, and their own service that they want to offer to their users. So it's really, there's really no like one size fits all. Like obviously Trust is very happy with how the service works works today, but you know, future integrator number one, you know, uh, might not like the price execution and might want to go with the more, they, they don't, they don't care about the decentralization. They're, they're just like, all right, yeah, whatever. We'll just put Changely in there and, uh, and we're good to go. Whatever. Some people get KYC randomly. It's like that, that that's, that's fine. You know, but the 0.5% of people that that happens to like that, that's okay. Uh, you know, we, we don't need to go through the effort of integrating a decentralized service, but then others will be like, oh yeah, we really, we really care about that. That aligns with our values. So, like that's something that that we want to use. So it's just like it's just a matter of of meeting the like the customers of Thorchain, being being the wallets and the exchanges. I think uh, just where they are and just giving giving assurances that uh, you know that, that the service works and uh, you know just data around uh, average slippage for their for their customers and the, you know the time that it takes to confirm trades. That's that's another um, like big. Not, I would say a big concern, but like that's something that people ask about. It's like how long these these trades actually take. Essentially, uh, Changely can do zero comp uh, BTC trades. You, you you send in BTC and you get the ETH out in like you know fifteen seconds, a, a minute. It's uh it's very quick. They they don't they don't do any kind of confirmation counting. While uh you know with Thorchain you'd have to wait until the block is confirmed. Uh, you know at least at least ten minutes. So it's like there, there's all these, like, obviously we can't win out on every, on every scenario, but it's just figuring out what kind of balance we want to strike in order to get where we want to be uh, while, while we have the, uh, the competitive advantage right now on all fronts. Yeah, not, yeah, not to mention. Just, oh, can I just jump in real quick? Cause I have to uh, hop and go on mute again real quick. Um, and just to respond to what you were saying, Chad, I think, yeah, it's it's difficult to say whether we should prioritize swappers or LPs, but I think that in the conversation of strictly on LPs, we should not we should never try to 
prioritize passive, you know, passive LPs versus active LPs, because really what you're doing there is you're saying, we want to prioritize dumb money over smart money. And I think that you have to build a system that attracts smart money because in the long run, smart money will always win over dumb money. So as nice as it is to be able to like, you know, um, and I've said this before about like savers, you know, when we, when we made the transition from like dual LPs to savers as being sort of like the primary product, that's still not to mention that there will, or not to discount that there will always be dual-sided LPs in ThorChain. They're just going to increasingly become smarter. They're going to get more of the upside and they're going to be in and out, you know, based on their smart little data science things or whatever. Um, so I, I think we have to build a system that attracts both types of users and, uh, uh, you know, gives outsized rewards to the, uh, to the, to, to the smart money. Um, because, yeah, I think, you know, attracting liquidity is always going to be super important um, and it's going to allow us to give us the best tax. Hi, guys. Pedro here from Thor Wallet GM. I just wanted to jump in quickly here because I had a couple of ideas to share. So um, kind of looking at it from a different perspective, a little bit from, uh, from the wallet perspective and also from the users, um, I think we can agree that uh, the flagship product right now is, you know, being able to swap Bitcoin for Ethereum. That's what, like, really nowhere else you can do it in the same volume. Of course, cross-chain, but, like, what people really care and are super excited is doing Bitcoin, Ethereum, and also other Ethereum paths. So, for example, being able to do easily from Bitcoin to a stablecoin or something. And I think what Chad was saying about finding ways to make this um, a bit cheaper for the user, I think that will be uh, very beneficial for, for overall volume. So people will be able to, to do more transactions. Because right now, I think one of the challenges is for certain trades, um, Torchain is way more expensive than other alternatives. And in a way, maybe you don't want to compete there, right? So like for the very long tail, you, do, you don't care about that. But like if, if we could make it a bit more competitive where certain um, certain routes, and as you say, maybe there's a virtual pool or something where we can give um, cheaper fees for, for especially Bitcoin to Ethereum or like Bitcoin to some um, stables, I think that will generate a lot of extra extra volume from users because um, even with now, with the, 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 the fees on Ethereum and with Bitcoin and so on, like it's just going getting insanely expensive, just like the, the, the same transaction itself. And now with Torchain, normally we have an additional fee for, for swaps. And I think that is really going to bring um, a lot of volume for for what we are very good at, which is the cross-chain uh, um, routes. Yeah, one other thing that was discussed that's kind of in this realm is uh, actually directly integrating. So similar to the DEX aggregator, how Thorchain can swap out to a contract. Uh, imagine Thorchain being able to swap out to a bridge. So like going to L2s without having to actually integrate a, you know an L2 network like as like a regular chain integration which can be very expensive uh it's something that was also just discussed recently which i think is a really like a very good idea because that that is our bread and butter is going cross chain and uh, and also the the aggregator is just a great product that a lot of other people can can make use of so like um, being able to get into the like get further into the EVM space without having to get further into the infrastructure costs of the EVM space, 
so like basically like so let's say we wanted to go to arbitrum like we just put in the arbitrum bridge like there's a connection between uh the bifrost and and uh the arbitrum bridge and you can just swap out you know you you uh you swap to eth and then they, then it just bridges that eth out automatically to to arbitrum l2 like for example so obviously there's a ton of applications that um that not just not just that one but like this is another interesting way to get a better ux cross chain without actually having to add a huge amount of like additional amount of liquidity that we would need and just like the whole burden of like adding new chains but still getting the the, the benefits of like really being the hub of being able to go you know cross chain anything to anything is is like a interesting way to handle that so that's one thing that i'm hoping that we see in the uh in a couple months Yeah, not to mention that any new uh, exchange that comes out into the future, whether it be Maya or Chainflip or otherwise, like they have to have time to prove themselves. Like I don't think Trust Wallet will want to interface with a brand new exchange that launched yesterday, and so they're, they're going to have their own uh, struggles in the early days and, and, and bugs and problems that as as we did. Uh, any new chain is going to have that kind of that kind of experience, and so um, they're just they're, they're going to burn time. Um, solidifying their code and, and baking their code and make sure it's like reliable and secure and all that kind of stuff. And so they, it'd be hard for them to get integrations probably in the early days, most likely. That's my, that's my guess, at least. Um, and they'll have, they'll have an easier time later on, especially with us, because like we actually paved the way in terms of like cross-chain swaps, integrations and stuff. And so anybody who's following after us will have an easier road than we did, right? Kind of like when you walk through a jungle and the first guy to go through it has a machete to kind of like clear the path and takes the longest amount of time for that first person and everybody after that point is a little bit easier, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how these different projects kind of fan out and keep our fire as, as Pluto was saying. Remember Chad, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun the guy next to you. <laughs> There's a guy next to me, Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, it's all just super positive conversations at, at East Denver. Um, and it was mostly just meeting with, with different wallets, DEXs, L1 protocols, and uh, L2 protocols and, and things. And let, let me tell you, like, everyone that is, like, seriously building in this space, whether it be the wallets, whether it be the exchanges, even centralized exchanges, uh, everybody is, like, looking at, at what we're doing and trying to figure out how to position themselves to, to capitalize off of like cross-chain swaps and savers being the two main products of Thorchain. So all, all the serious builders in this space, like see the infrastructure that we built and really want to use it. And uh, obviously we're going to do everything that we can to, to make sure that uh, all these eventually pan out. But everyone that's, that, that's serious about building in, in this space, especially in the, uh, in the cross-chain non-EVM space, but even the EVM people, they're, they're very interested in what, what Thorchain is building. And that's, that's people who've been building in this space for, you know, for 10 years on, uh, on, on various projects, various wallets and things. And uh, we're, we're going to get to where we need to be. It's just, we have to, we have to you know, step on the gas even harder this year while uh while we have uh, as little headwind as possible uh so it's just stepping on the gas and getting in to every single wallet exchange and uh aggregator and uh and also what pluto was saying like figuring out what our strengths are where our weaknesses are where where we can improve where we can 
make the UX better, how we can make the integration experience easier. And then ultimately, like, how can we get more, more projects, more wallets, uh, just more integrators in, in general. So that's like been a lot of, a lot of my efforts and, and Aridonis is absolutely killing it on the, on the BD integrations front. So that is like where, where we're absolutely tripling down right now is just integrations while, while we, uh, while the playing field is wide open. Yeah. Like one of the things we do that, that nobody else is really doing um, other than just like the cross chain swaps thing, the people are trying to, people are still trying to catch up on the thing that we, we accomplished as a, as a team, like as a community, like years ago. Right. Um, but not just the swaps thing, but also like the savers concept, right. And like the lending concept, like these things are uh, innovations onto themselves. And like, so take savers, for example, like in comparison to something like chain flip, um, Chainflip, I think, in part, wanted to use a stablecoin as one of the base assets of all their pools because um, it doesn't require people to take on risk of some new asset, like which would be the flip token in a particular case. And so, like people don't want to provide liquidity outside the like particular community of Chainflip, want to provide liquidity into a system where you have to take sell half of your Bitcoin and then acquire, you know, uh, some flip token, which you know maybe you're bullish on, maybe you're not, but like becomes a kind of a barrier. And so instead of uh, doing that, they, they would say, well, instead of the flip token, we'll just put USDC. And as I said before, like that would cause a, a large amount of IL, especially in a, either a bearish or a bullish market. It's only helpful when it's like a sideways market. Um, and But to make it even worse, though, is that like if the, if the market's bull, uh, you probably don't want to sell your Bitcoin, like half your Bitcoin to a stable coin, right? You're basically like um, exclude, you're, 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 you're reducing your risk to, your, your risk in a sense, in a sense of like exposure to the asset, but in a bull market, everybody wants to have more exposure, right? Cause you want to ride it up to the, to, to the top and such. And so like for us, we had like the inverse thing of like, no, you don't want to sell half of your Bitcoin into, you know, some stable coin and then take half the amount of Bitcoin risk that you have uh, in riding up in, in the bull market. Instead, you can take hundred percent of your Bitcoin position and just earn more Bitcoin on your Bitcoin without selling any of your Bitcoin into some other asset, whether it be a stable coin or even room. And so, like, that's going to be something very different that they're structurally not capable of achieving unless they literally copy our synth design as well as the AMM design, um, which I don't think they're going to do that. At least I have no indication that they're going to do that. Uh, lending itself, I think, like, has the potential of becoming even a bigger product than the AMM itself. Like, lending is a massive, massive industry. It's actually, I think it's actually even larger than the, at least the last time I looked, it was months ago, but... Uh, it's even larger than the AMM industry, right? And so, like, there's actually a chance that that the lending concept uh, actually provides more value to the to the to the protocol than the AMMs does, uh, which would be quite quite fascinating. And again, like all those all those swaps and trades every time someone's opening or closing or refreshing their loan, that's just going to cause swap volume and Thorchain that that you can't compete on with Chainflow because you can't make the, that swap on Chainflow's network. You have to do it on Thorchain's network in order to get a Thorchain loan. And so, like that's some like some volume that we're going to have that cannot be taken through price, better price execution or whatnot, right? So, uh, it'd be fascinating to see how things go 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 forward. But the, this kind of full stack that we're building, this fully integrated, fully integrated system of AMMs, um, uh, earn product or savers product, lending, um, order books potentially, potentially stable coins, like this kind of full stack that we're doing, like nobody in the industry is even like. Uh, peeking at that like, there's some people who are forking some of our AMM stuff but like nobody's going for the rest of it quite yet they're like years behind us yeah agree completely and you made a good point about uh about liquidity providers and they, they will just not 
there, there is very little chance that they will be able to compete with the actual uh, deals that is offered on on Thorchain just just because of their their model, right? Like they, especially with just in time liquidity, they're going to be very focused on probably having very few liquidity providers doing most of the liquidity provision and most of that being probably being just in time liquidity. So it's, you know, very, very few people actually benefiting from this uh, when, you know, any kind of passive LP would just kind of be getting screwed on the, uh, on the fees, especially if, you know, it's, it's a low pool depth and there's low amount of fees that are going through unless they're generating an insane amount of swaps, then, uh, there, there really isn't much yield to go around in the first place. And on top of that, the IL problem, uh, like Thorchain does, obviously Thorchain does have, have its own advantages, uh, you know, and not, not to say that we are completely un, uncompetitive. We are just, it, 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 we focus on, on two very, very different things. And uh, we just need to keep, you know, ha- like keep foot on the gas on like where, where our focus is, but also improving like our, our weakness points. And then, just getting in everywhere because once we're once we're in everywhere which i believe like i believe we will be in the next next uh you know 12 12 to 16 months um that that is that's that's sticky like that is that's volume coming out of all of these major wallets and exchanges so uh it's it's going to be a lot it, like if once we're in uh it's it's not so easy to just say oh like yeah, let, let's just implement chain flip now, and you know th- this will be a quick thing. Like the, these these integrations take a very long time, and once there is like one decentralized Bitcoin swap provider, I I feel that it's probably unlikely that um, that we see people you know like someone like Trust Wallet integrating uh, other protocols for the same purpose. But I, I could be wrong. But uh, that, that's why just stressing that like now is like the period of, of opportunity to really spring after it and a lot of the wallets are stepping up to the challenge and are really excited to to work with us yeah that's definitely one thing we, we pulled from east denver is there's still a lot of interest uh we met a lot of some, uh, groups or teams and projects and it was very bullish yeah anything else to share about that chad or uh I can't think of any specific conversations that, that I, I could bring up, but like, like ton, tons of wallets, exchanges, DEXs, uh, L1s, L2s, pretty much everything. And everyone's like very excited on ThorChain and like wants to know how they can get get integrated. So, uh, hey, K-Coefficient, what's up, man? Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, I was just wondering about uh, um, if, if ThorChain or Nine Realms or maybe even just uh, Chad, yourself, if have any, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know if there exists a perp dex that offers native Bitcoin. Is there, is there one in existence today? Uh, you mean I don't a decentralized so. one? Yeah. Yeah. A decentralized one. There's plenty of centralized perps that, uh, offer. There could be one native. on, um, on like stacks or rootkit or, or, um, Rootstock, excuse me, like one of those kind of systems that there might exist some kind of professor. I'm not quite sure though. Okay, I was just wondering I, 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 if if any if any I'm kind of lurking in a lot of uh, these. Well, there's a lot. Of, there's been kind of an explosion of perp dexes, EVM based perp dexes, the last few months, and 
a lot of them say are you know in the future we'd like to go cross chain i think they really mean they're just gonna they're full they're kind of full of it but they really mean multi-chain not really truly cross chain but um, their users, I think, would love it if they could get exposure to uh, native UTXOs, or they could offer that. I, I just wondered if, yeah. if any of those DEXs have, have come to ThorChain, or maybe we, ThorChain has approached them, like, hey, we could offer you this API service, or, or liquidity, um, yeah, I, or, or do we, those pose any kind of risks, risks to ThorChain yeah, itself? I, yeah, we, we couldn't really do a thing where we we provide the Bitcoin for a, a DEX perp, you know, system on Ethereum. Uh, that would never require like basically bridging assets, which is not something we generally do. Right, um, right. Building our own perps on our own chain, that's something that might that may happen. Myself and, and Gavin and others on the, on, on the team have been talking about um, doing building a perps engine on top of ThorChain. Uh, for a little while now, it's very interesting because the if you were to do it theoretically, you would probably see a ten x in trade volume. Exactly on, on that regard, like which right away. Very, yeah, right away you see a significant increase in trade volume, which is obviously a good thing. And the fact that we do that for this is like another thing of like what you know, Pluto was saying before. Like we might do that, and maybe Chainflip would not because they they don't have the capability of doing it, for example. And so no, it's no. another way, nothing we can do. The problem though is that we haven't really come up with a a really good design because. Um, one of the design um, kind of like uh, principles of ThorChain, at least was when I was first putting it together, uh, was that we have zero dependencies. And almost every DEX you see that had those perpetuals right now, almost all, all of them, at least the ones that, to my knowledge, uh, they use um, oracles like chain, uh, chain, uh, Chainlink, for example, to be able to, to push in uh, the pricing of uh, different attributes. Because because of the leverage concept of perpetuals, it makes it more um, you know e- makes it much easier to price manipulate a contract and then you know close close your position or something like this and, and, and profit greatly. Uh, meanwhile, you know screwing over everybody else in the in the in the market in a sense. Um, so yeah. that's a really hard problem. Like how do you how do you protect and the LPs price? and the LPs as well? So the question becomes like how do you protect against uh, price manipulation against a leverage position because the price of, a, of the Bitcoin pools in ThorChain, the Bitcoin pool or the Ethereum pool, whatever, they're just AMMs, right? So like anybody can just put a huge trade to the system and then, you know, push the price. And then once they do that, you know, fuck around with something else. And so this is part of like the, the challenges of like building something that is fully integrated, like Thor, like I've been mentioned earlier, is that you have to make sure that all the different components work together well. And, and then one component doesn't break another component and, and all that kind of stuff, which something obviously we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. I do think it's possible to do, to do a, a perpetual um, trading on, on ThorChain. I don't think it's, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be done. Um, there's just, this needs to be some kind of figured out on how to like protect ourselves from, from price manipulation. Yeah, I did. I just didn't know if the sense could kind of uh, help with that. Or, I mean, essentially, borrowing is lending and borrowing is in a way a, a perpetual trade. You know, like that's you know, I right. borrow, I borrow with my collateral, and then just buy and keep borrowing over and over. That's a per- that's the same thing as a you know a 10x trade on Bitcoin or something. So yeah, uh, there's correlation there for sure. They're not quite the same thing, but they are. There is there's there's definitely some some similarities between lending and uh, perpetuals. But 
I think it's something that's interesting. We should definitely keep an eye on it and think more about it as a, as a team and think about implementations that work for us and which we get much more larger trade volume on the network. Okay. All right. I just wondering if anybody had oh, thought about way, it or I know you guys have thought about it, but I didn't, I, I was thinking it more of a uh, integration type of thing. By the way, uh, if hypothetically, if we were to do perpetual, think about this way, this is like one of the benefits of this. So hypothetically, we were to do uh, perpetuals and we were to see a 10x increase uh, in trade volume due to that, which is a, a fair assumption to make, then the amount of yield that the network produces from swaps will obviously greatly increase relative to the block rewards, right? Last time right. I looked, I think I think it was like 85% of the rewards in the pools uh, and notes comes from the block rewards and 15% from the swaps or trades, which relative to other decks is actually extremely good. Uh, but if we were to, to 10x our volume because of perpetuals or whatever, then you know the block rewards would be relatively smaller relative to the actual trade volume, which would flip our 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 uh, uh, system to be to be like profitable, right? Uh, not yeah. profitable, but but producing more more uh, more income from from providing a service than it is from uh, you know um, emissions basically. emissions, right? And that would be a significant flip. Like that would be that would be like a flipping within the Thorchain world, like. I remember having conversations with the, with the devs in the really early days of the network, and and we were saying to ourselves that, you know, in the beginning, obviously, block rewards is going to be you know the vast majority of the income because it's early days and there's not a lot of trading happening, a lot, not a lot of integrations and that kind of stuff. Um, but hopefully, with a longer period of time, that the you know that will change and that will shift over the time span, maybe five or ten years, maybe fifteen if if we go further out. But like uh, this would have caused us to, to to hit that flipping much much earlier than I would have thought, you know two or three years ago when we were uh, designing and plotting this whole thing. And so it would be really interesting to see that, hap- that, that kind of flipping happening like much earlier than we even anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if, if you just, I mean, a, a decentralized Bitcoin perps offering would be a huge product hit because, you know, a lot of people don't like wrapped any you know wrap bitcoin on binance smart chain on you know ethereum yeah. whatever avax all of it you know they're just very reluctant to use it I think right. if, if somebody offered that it would be massive yeah i, I would love to do it i think it'd be a great uh product for the, for the network myself and other individuals will have to get together and put our heads together and, uh, i mean it could be totally separate from door chain i mean it separate in a from a business sense i guess but yeah we talked about that too about building it on top of torching a separate either chain or a separate thing we've had that conversation as well um to me yeah. it makes more logical sense to put it on chain um for a okay. few different reasons but but i think you know i'm open to other approaches entirely like again this is something that myself and yeah. other devs are going to have to get together and, and kind of hash out a, a proper design but like yeah. to be honest, like I don't want to just to be honest. I would love for us to do a purpose on this different. Like I, I don't like to generally just like replement the same thing that everybody else is doing, just put it on a, on a multi-chain kind of concept or a cross-chain system. Uh, I rather us think about per- perpetuals in general and figure out is there fundamentally a better way that we can do this? Similar how we did a fun like you know similar how we did lending or similar how we did savers like similar how we did the AM itself. Uh, even like this list, slip ASP model was completely different than everybody else. We didn't just copy everybody else's XYK system. We we built our own free model, which was 
much more effective and efficient um, in many ways. And so like, if we do get into the perpetuals world, uh, I'd be interested to take a, a deeper look at it and from a first principles perspective and figure out, is there structurally a better way we can do this than how everybody else is doing it, as we've done with almost every feature of Torchain? Well, I think right off the bat, you have slip-based fees. So that's one huge advantage right there for perps. Well, I mean, yeah, for the for the protocol, it'd be great because like, imagine if you take yeah. 100x, 100x leverage on Bitcoin, right? And you put yep. one Bitcoin to begin with and, and things go well for you and you get this high reward. And when you exit, you're exited with 100x more value than you did before in a matter of speaking. And then all that's going to the pool. So the slip-based fee model for that would be just generate massive amount of income. For the LPs and for the the sabers, it would be it would be incredible, almost. So, like, that's again, like, part of the reason we like the idea is because we can we can actually get a massive amount of income for the LPs and sabers as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity there. That's all. All right. Thanks. Yep. Yep. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, and you were saying a little bit about. Um, just the, the the flippening of block rewards versus the uh, liquidity fees that, that come through the network. And I, I believe right now we're about 75, 25, and we're trending in the right direction. And, and the entire goal with integrations is to make the flippening happen. Like that, that that's the goal is the 10 X volume in, in the next year. So like un- unequivocally, like that is like what we're working for to, to flip in the, to to flip in the block rewards and to make more uh, or to make it so that most of the fees coming through uh, Thorchain are organic fees rather than block rewards. So we are, we're doing our best to accelerate that, that vision and uh, just make, make it happen as, as soon as possible. Cause that, that puts Thorchain in a default alive state, which is, you know, what, what we need uh, to see this thing keep going. Right, and, and, and to that point, like if you, um, as the pools get deeper, right, in terms of liquidity, like the Bitcoin pool gets deeper, the Ethereum pool gets deeper, and then there's an arbitrage opportunity because the Bitcoin price shifts up or shifts down or whatever it might be in other direction, um, because the the amount of swaps that need to happen in that pool are relative to its depth to correct the price. The deeper the pool, the more um, swaps you have, arbitrage bots making trades to correct pool prices. And so that obviously pays fees, right? If you're making an arbitrage swap, you're paying fees like everybody else. And so you're generating income. So it's also like a, a thing, a, a kind of mechanism is that the, the deeper we make the pools, and we're trying to make them as deep as we reasonably can get, uh, it naturally increases the trading volume of the network just because arbitrage has a trade higher volume of, of swaps and trades and value to correct the prices. Anyone from the audience want to come up and have questions? There's a couple comments here. Um, let's see. Can you guys give an update on the sudden spike in protocol revenue a couple of days ago? Uh, this is actually related to um, kind of what, what you're saying about you know, large swaps bringing in a lot of fees. There was a user who made about a million dollar Bitcoin to ETH swap and uh, didn't check the yeah, expected output and uh, ended up paying around... 20 to 25 percent of that million dollar bitcoin uh swap in in fees to liquidity providers and to the nodes so that is like if anyone noticed the the spike in uh in protocol revenues in, in the past couple of days uh that's 
it's literally just one swap that that caused a giant spike in in uh in revenues and uh yeah i mean that's that's just how the slick base fee model works it's uh you have, you have to make sure that you're like anyone that you hear that's listening if you're making a swap like definitely double check the amount i'm sure people here like kind of understand that the more you swap the more in slippage that you pay but um if you're not actually checking how much you're, you're getting out and the, i mean i if you're doing a, if you're doing a million dollar swap, uh, you should probably be checking how much ether it's estimating you come out because the quotes are pretty accurate. Uh, so, uh, I mean, not not to obviously not not to blame the user because it's also on like the the UX and how that information is presented to the user. Um, but just be aware that making a large swap, you you can pay a lot of fees, and that the the Thorchain will not stop you from from overpaying in fees if you choose to do so. So. Uh, that that is directly what caused the a huge spike in protocol revenue slash APR. Um, and obviously, it's it's also a good reminder that APR is backwards looking; it's not forwards looking. So you like you look at the APRs on on different sites, and uh, they, they they might be different from one uh, from one front end to the other, and that's just a difference in in calculation. There's many different ways you can calculate. The, the APR, but it's always backwards looking. So it, it um, I believe what ThorSwap does is it looks at the longest possible period. Uh, so it, it, it'll look at like the past year of data, for example, and say, all right, if you were holding in this last year for the last 365 days, what would your what would, what was your APR? It's not forward looking on, hey, this is what the APR will be, because obviously that's a function of how many swaps are coming through and what the block rewards are and the uh, even how much security is on the network. Like there's so many factors that come in. Remember, a- APR is always backwards looking. It's not forwards looking. And just because it's, it says one thing on one site and one thing on another site, they're all in the same pools. So, you know, you deposit on one front end or another front end, it's all going to the same spot and earning the same fees. It's just the difference of how it's actually calculated. And there's many different, like, if you do it, if you look back in the past 30 days, that's very different from looking at the past six months, which is very different than looking at the past year, which is different than looking at the past two years. So it's all a matter of perspective and how you're looking at the APRs. Uh, so just wanted to call that out too, because I know, I know there's, there's always like lots of questions going around about APRs and like why are they different on this one front end or why are they different on this other front end? Like how are they calculated? So uh, yeah, hopefully that clears things up for, for some people. Just just know that it, it, APR is always backwards looking and uh, it could be different levels of res- resolution, either a long period of time, which should be more more stable, more sturdy, or uh, like a short period of time, one month might might vary wildly. Or if you look at the past day, then you could you could see you know thousand percent APR one day, and then you know minus fifty percent APR the, the next day. Uh, so it, it's all just a matter of, of perspective and, and and timeline when it comes to uh, actual yields. Can can I drop a little alpha on you related to that? For sure. So uh, uh, this is going to be interesting. So it is possible. And, we've, and I've, I've kind of proposed this a little bit to some of the devs in the in the, in the back end, but um, it is possible to achieve fixed rate interest rates on uh, savers, right? So that you can, as you were saying, the the APY that you're experience that you are looking at is looking at the history, not necessarily the future. So you don't really know with any kind of certainty what your yield of you know being saver, for example, for the next year. And so I've, I've proposed an idea of how we can uh, how we can achieve this goal of fixed rate interest rate. Um, by creating a kind of like uh, buyers and sellers market 
um, order book style almost. Where as a saver, you can opt to have a lower yield, but fixed rate uh, or opt for having a higher yield, but not fixed rate and take on that kind of risk. And so like that would be an interesting thing into the future of, of, of um, how we achieve the ability to get a fixed rate interest on the savers on the saver side. Wouldn't it work for the, uh, the, the dual side? It can only really work for the savers, but nonetheless, um, I think a lot of people would really like that, that functionality because then you actually know with absolute certainty that in a one year time frame you're going to make you know a two percent yield on your BDC or whatever the number is going to be. That predictability is quite valuable. Yeah, that's another very interesting product. Good call out, Chad. Yeah, you could just vary the. You, you could just basically calculate how much would need to be emitted as as rewards to target a certain percent, and then just just go for that. So, yep. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Definitely appeal to the lower risk crowd. Cool. Anyone else uh, want to come up or have questions? I think that's pretty much everything that is like, you know, cutting edge and brand new. There, there's a lot of developing conversations, especially uh, just, just with all these new partners and integrators. So that's kind of where all the focus is. So uh, this, the cycles here are pretty long in like how long it takes to get from, you know, the initial conversations to like, hey, we're ready to start building this integration to, hey, we're, we're, we're testing it and we're, and we're live. Uh, Trust took 16 months to get from, from end to end into, into iOS uh, from first conversation to live in, in iOS swapping. So uh, be patient. There, there's some good stuff coming on the way. And uh, we brought up K-Coefficient again oh, hey, to close uh, out. I'm sorry. Chad, could those rates, the variable rates, and the we set up a market for those rates, like a rate swap type of thing? That's all. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I go crazy. You go crazy with that type of stuff. Yeah, it's, that, that's effective. How it works is that, like, um, say I have one BDC in savers, and I you know um, I want guaranteed, you know, let's just say one percent fixed rate interest, right? And then whatever yield that my my one BDC produces over the time span of like one year, let's just say, um, the other person would get that. So uh, I, I'm looking for a one percent, you know, and I put up a one BDC, and so I'm looking for you know zero point zero point zero one, uh, you know BDC, and then so maybe Pluto comes up and he says, okay, I'll I will give you the zero point zero one BDC that you're looking for. I will supply it for you, and you're that way you're 100 percent guaranteed to get that fixed rate after that at 12 months but whatever yield that your one bdc produces over the next 12 months like i just i just get that yield whatever it is. whether it's one percent whether it's half percent whether it's ten percent like whatever happens yeah. pluto gets that whatever that result is and so this puts zero um risk to the protocol itself like thor chain itself it takes on no risk with this concept because you have you have givers and you have takers in that scenario yeah and just you're basically creating an order book of size so it's you know, if, if I said I want fixed rate, you know, 30% fixed rate on my, on my one BDC, like obviously nobody's going to take that because, you know, they're just going to basically give me free money in, in the end. And so the, the market will find its own little like, okay, variable rates are sitting around three or 4% right now, but fixed rates sitting around, you know, one and a half percent or something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you got it. It could be the whole thing with savers, lending. Variable fixed rates. That'd be, that'd be, I think that'd be big. I, I don't think anybody in the industry does fixed rate interest for, especially for Bitcoin. So it's just like that'd be, that'd be pretty, pretty enticing. Uh, uh, yeah. Now maybe they used to, but they've all gone 
belly up or they had fixed rates for a certain period of time, like 30 days or 60 days or something yeah. like that. And yeah, how yeah. far is that from from happening? Like, is that like a very hard change to do or is just right now like in, an idea or, or what, uh, you know, how far would that be? Yeah, I mean, that right now it's just an idea. Um, it hasn't really been discussed any, any kind of detail within, within the devs themselves uh, quite at this point. I think my intention was let's just launch Savers and get that thing out the door, you know, and more in a more vanilla way that's more like basic and just produce the, the, the basic kind of needs. And then for like V2 of Savers might be this concept, right, which may happen into the future at some point. But honestly, it's not even really being discussed at this time uh, between the devs because we're more interested or more fixated on, um, you know, other things right now. Like lending was, might, might be one of those things. Binance Smart Chain might be another one of those things, integrations. Like there's other things being done that are probably higher value than, than this particular concept. But at some point in the future, maybe that'll change and we'll, we'll, and we'll take another strike at Savers and improve it to have a fixed rate option. But it's also possible, right, that you could say um, you take a small percentage from this, let's say, market that generates. So somebody wants 1% fix, so then they pay like 1.01, and that goes to, to the protocol as fees. That could also be a possibility, right? So another way to, to generate fees for, for the protocol. Maybe. I'm open to, yeah. to just discussing and, and debating. Or uh, Thor, Thor Wallet Dex could d offer it as well. Awesome, yeah. Uh, one more topic, actually, uh, we could talk about, and maybe maybe Pluto is a good person to talk about this as well. Uh, I think he's gone, but yeah. Oh, he's gone? Uh, I see him there. He's, he's in the room, but maybe not on his phone. But uh, is the, I think in the version 106, it just went out. Um, it had the TSS uh, key share capability, um, TSS key share backup capability. So what this basically means is that every time the network does a churn, and we migrate all the funds to the new wallets, the network also uh, in triple encrypts the private key of each individual TSS share. This triples encrypts it with three different encryption methodologies. I think Blowfish is one of them. I think AES two fifty six another one. I think there's some other one. I can't remember the top. Can't remember the top of my head what that is. But it's triple encrypted, and then it's stored on the chain itself. And so the benefit of this is that even if in, a, in a, an extreme scenario that like Amazon, let's say Amazon kills all of their boxes, right? Just like this murders them all, and the node operators didn't upload, didn't back up their keys like off AWS to something you know local or some other location or whatever, that the the keys could be recovered from the chain itself, so that they can rebuild their infrastructure off AWS, build it on. DigitalOcean or some other provider in the world, or maybe bare metal, whatever, and then they had the the, the TSS key shares up on, on the server already, on the, on the sorry on the chain itself already, and they can just download it, decrypt it, and then carry on like nothing ever happened. Yeah, we talked about that a while ago, and uh, so I guess it's finally just on on mainnet now. But uh, yeah, super cool concept and something that makes the network more censorship resistant. Yeah. So another thing leading towards, uh, you know, this the further decentralization of the infrastructure itself of of Thorchain, where you know even if even if the uh, the nodes go down somehow, they can they can just restore as long as they have their mnemonic saved somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the mnemonic. Yeah. Is, I'll just 
ahead, I'll just jump in real quick because I'm sorry. Excuse the background noise. I'm at the gym right now. Um, but yeah, so the, that landed in 106, and we were able to successfully test um, a, a recovery. So we did. Uh, we went on to one of our StageNet validators, deleted the Bifrost key shares from it, and then restarted Bifrost, and it was able to unencrypt using the mnemonic its own key share, and then rejoin the active validator set. Um, so that's that's been tested and working in StageNet. It hasn't been enabled in Mainnet yet. And I think we'll push that out as uh, to enable it to all validators in a future release, maybe with 107. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the obvious benefit there is to censorship resistance. And this would have been one of the major things that, um, that we wanted to land before doing something like CryptoNet. So it's just another one of those um, enhancements that's going to give us more confidence that, um, that we have the ability to recover in the event of some sort of government um, censorship. So yeah, definitely just continuing to make strides there so that we feel safer if we decide to embark down the, the path of crypto notes. Yep. Yeah, I think this functionality for, for crypto notes especially is, is probably uh, a good angle, a good, a good thing to do for sure. Because at, at this point, like once this gets enabled, even if every uh, uh, service, every, every cloud provider deleted every validator off of the internet. As long as those validators had their, um, their mnemonic backed up somewhere, we would be able to reconstitute all the Asgard vaults. That's obviously great. Yeah. Yeah, and in comparison, like, um, um, I think it's, I want to say it's XLR, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but uh, of the, of the but, but XLR, like, they, they don't do two-thirds majority. They do uh, 90% majority. So in order to, like, sign a transaction requires a larger percentage of the of the nodes. And so because it's a larger percentage, it's easier to lose, you know, more than 10%, right? It's, it's, it's easier to lose more than 10% than it is to, to lose, like, 33%. Uh, and so I think how they do it, according to the white paper at least, um, is that they have backdoor keys to all the funds, uh, which for me is quite problematic. But I guess for them it's not. Um, and so they, if they want to be able to reconstitute the lost vaults, they have backdoor keys to, to, to be able to, to, to pull the funds uh, whenever the hell they want to. Um, that's not a very good approach, in my opinion, for obvious reasons. A better approach is just to back up the, the keys themselves onto the chain itself and then triple encrypt it using very high-end um, encryption methodologies to make sure that nobody could extract the value. Um, not to mention that these TSS shares, are, they're only temporary. They only actually last for three days. So the, the idea that somebody's going to be able to brute force uh, one of these key shares three times <laughs> in a matter of the, uh, is, is pretty, uh, would be pretty hard, very hard. All right, cool, cool. Uh, anything else you guys want to wrap up with? I, th I think that pretty much covers everything to talk about for, for this week. I think that's it. We're good. Great space. All right. Sweet, guys. Hold the vision. And, uh, yeah, let's let's just keep killing it. And any any suggestions or just, like, you know, things that people want to bring up, uh, you know, the team's always listening and just looking at how we can improve, especially, like, you know, protocol features-wise and just just general feedback is always appreciated. So we're always here. You guys know how to get in touch with us. So, uh, awesome. I guess we'll we'll see everyone uh, next Friday. Cheers. There you guys. See you guys. Cheers. See you. Bye.